This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong here with... Mary Lucas, representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you doing today? Doing well, just battling the heat. You know, got to keep the garden watered. It's been a, it's been a hot one, but these cool mornings where you can enjoy the coffee on the porch has been really uh, refreshing. This it week. has, and we're, we're getting a little bit of break right now. I don't know if <laughs> this technically qualifies as a break, but hey, <laughs> North Carolina we'll break. <laughs> That's right, a North Carolina break. Well, we've got a wonderful show laid out to you, and we want to get right into our topic at hand. We are very pleased to welcome on to the show Dr. Susan Consagra. She's the director for the North Carolina Division of Public Health, and we're going to be talking about a lot of things, in particular monkeypox and also an update on COVID-19. We know that there's uh, a lot of information, some misinformation out there, and some uh, in- it gives us a chance to speak with an expert and, and get some uh, expert advice and information. So, Dr. Consagra, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. Thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. And thank you both for giving me some time today. Absolutely. I think the the monkeypox is, we're hearing about it in the news. We're seeing it. Um, It seems like this is the new thing. We were coming out of COVID a little bit, and we'll get to that later in the show. But now monkeypox is coming around, and, and it's becoming a little more prevalent in our state. So Dr. Consagra, can you talk to us a little bit about monkeypox? What is it? And what are some of the symptoms? Yeah, sure. So monkeypox is certainly something we are talking a lot about these days, and I know folks have been reading about it and seeing more of it in the news. So we right now are seeing a global monkeypox outbreak. This is a virus that typically, you know, in the past we've seen usually in Africa, but now we have seen many countries around the globe um, impacted and seen cases all across the globe and the U.S., Globally, we're seeing about 30,000 individuals at this point have been infected, and in the nation, about 8,000. Here in North Carolina, we have over 100 cases to date, so we are certainly seeing spread of monkeypox. And, you know, this is something that, again, is in the same family as other pox viruses, so I know people oftentimes think about smallpox when they hear monkeypox, and it's in the same family, but monkeypox is a much milder uh, form of illness, uh, not fatal you know, as such as we often think about smallpox being something that is, um, you know, deadly. So in that way, you know, there is good news there in that this is in the same family, but this is not uh, nearly as, as uh, severe or causing that fatal illness. But what people do tend to get is oftentimes they'll feel, you know, symptoms of getting sick, like fever, chills. Sometimes you might have swollen lymph nodes. And the thing that is really more characteristic of monkeypox is a rash. And so you will see a, a rash. Sometimes this can be a rash that is spread all over. But what we're seeing more in the cases that we're seeing across the globe now is rash that tends to be isolated. So you can see that more in the genital areas. You might see it in hands, feet, chest, face, mouth. It might not be spread widely. You might see a few areas with this rash. But those are the typical symptoms, just feeling generally ill, and then this rash that tends to develop a few days after you start to feel ill. You know, I think we're all used to the COVID-19 virus at this point, wearing masks and something that's very, very, very contagious. Is monkeypox as contagious as COVID-19, and how do you contract it? What should we be worried about? 
Yeah. So, you know, the thing is that this is different from COVID. And I know people tend to, you know, of course, we've all come out of the last two years and being you know, very hyper vigilant. But the good news here is that, again, it does not spread as easily as something like COVID. COVID typically, you know, is a respiratory illness, unlike what we're seeing as the mode of transmission through monkeypox, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. And then again, this is really fatal. So very different in terms of the actual disease. And then the other thing is we already are are out of the gate with uh, testing capacity in the U.S. as well as a vaccine. So that is also good news as we think about monkeypox and the tools we have at this point. You know, there are more tools right now at the get-go that we want to be able to use and deploy to be able to better contain and control the spread of monkeypox. So it is different in that sense. And monkeypox typically spreads through close skin-to-skin contact. Uh, again, that makes it different than something like COVID, which is typically fed, spread, you know, from respiratory illness and secretions. So different in the sense of what we're seeing as a mode of spread as well. It's all very good to know. So you mentioned testing very briefly there. Do we have availability here in North Carolina to test for monkeypox? And when should somebody get tested for monkeypox? Yeah. So, you know, the, the other thing I'll add around what we're seeing around monkeypox is that nearly all cases that we are seeing are in um, men who have sex with men. Now, anybody can get monkeypox, and that's also important to realize because, of again, the close skin-to-skin contact is the way it spreads, but nearly all cases are in men who have sex with men. And so that also, you know, we could change, and we're following that data, but you don't want to also think about, uh, you know, how we're reaching that population and that community spread education around testing. So as far as testing capacity in North Carolina, we have um, plenty of laboratory capacity. Our state laboratory of public health, as well as commercial laboratories across North Carolina are able to test. The most important piece is educating the public, as I mentioned, around, you know, what the signs and symptoms are and encouraging anybody that is concerned, has an unknown rash, you know, feels they may have been exposed to encourage them to go to their healthcare provider who can do the testing. You know, the test is uh, typically a, a swab that goes over the rash and then gets sent off to the laboratory for testing. Um, so it's really, you know, something that we want to make sure that Folks are aware that if they're seeing these signs and symptoms to get tested and for healthcare providers, you know, to also be vigilant and to offer testing if they're seeing something consistent with monkeypox. Very good to know. So the vaccines, who are they available to? How many are there currently? And um, are, are they doing their job in preventing monkeypox? Yeah, so we have received allocations through the federal government. There's a vaccine called Geneas. Um, that vaccine uh, we have in limited supply across the country. So in North Carolina, we have a little over 10,000 doses that we are currently using. Uh, you know, and, and given uh, who is highest risk right now, the eligibility criteria really towards those that are the highest risk of exposure. And so there, uh, men who have sex with men or transgender individuals who are reporting, for example, multiple or anonymous sex partners or being diagnosed with a sexually transmitted infection or receiving medications to prevent HIV, those are the individuals at highest risk given what we know about the current spread. So uh, they would be eligible for a vaccine, and that vaccine is available in multiple locations throughout North Carolina, and that's available on our website. Our local health departments um have vaccine available and are scheduling appointments and are continuing to um, take appointments and get vaccine into arms 
particularly for that high-risk group, you know, also that vaccine's available for post-exposure, uh, that which means that if somebody has been exposed to monkeypox, um, that they also are eligible to get the vaccine. And that helps prevent, especially if you're giving the vaccine within 14 days of exposure, prevents um, illness and decreases severity of illness as well. So those are the primary groups right now that are eligible. Wonderful. That's great information. And are we contact tracing like we were doing with COVID? Is that something that, that the state is doing with monkeypox as well? We are. So our local health departments, whenever there is a case, they will follow up and try to do contact tracing. So other individuals that may have been in contact with that individual, you know, are um notified or made aware that they may have been exposed and then offered, you know, monitoring is something that we discuss and being vigilant. And then certainly, again, as I mentioned, the vaccine uh, is available for post-exposure as well. So um, letting individuals know that, uh, you know, to, to keep a lookout for signs and symptoms and also the, vac- the opportunity to get vaccinated as well. One more quick question before we go to a, a break. What is the danger of this virus currently? Is this the next pandemic? Are we in a similar situation as we were with COVID? Or what, what's the trajectory here? Well, you know, as I mentioned, this is really different from, you know, what I know people are used to thinking about today, which is COVID coming off the last two years. Uh, good news is it does, does not spread as easily, spreads in a different way, um, and that we have testing and treatment available. And again, it's re- rarely fatal, the type of strain that we are seeing. So those are those are all good things. Obviously, we still want to be very vigilant around the spread. We want to uh, make sure we're preventing spread by working on those things I talked about, including making sure people are, uh, you know, they see something suspicious or a rash, encouraged to get testing you know, making sure folks are, know about the vaccine uh, and, and using the tools that we have at the moment. But again, this spreads very differently. And we, you know, again, rarely fatal, but certainly is something that, um, you know, not not pleasant can be painful. Sometimes the lesions and the sores that people experience can be highly painful. So obviously still want to continue to uh, make sure we can do everything we can and work with our partners and our community-based organizations to continue to spread awareness about this and decrease uh, further spread. We are speaking with Dr. Susan Consagra. She is the director for the North Carolina Division of Public Health within the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. And we're going to shift focus next to COVID-19, but we're going to take a break first. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Dr. Susan Consagra. She is the director for the North Carolina Division of Public Health, also with the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. And we just had a very informative segment on monkeypox. I thought uh, I've learned more in the last 10 minutes than I probably have in <laughs> months related to the stories on monkeypox that I've seen in the news. So thank you, Dr. Consagra, for that. But now we're going to shift our focus uh, to a uh, something that we've talked about a lot. But uh, again, it's COVID-19 and we want to get an update on on where things stand because again, there's 
there's not as much we're not getting as much information i felt like as we mm-hmm. were uh at the height of covid19 but it's it's still something that we should be aware of yeah i agree i think that things have gotten a little more relaxed feeling about covid19 but it's still out there and people who may have not been vaccinated or immunocompromised is something that's very important as well um so dr consagra first on covid what subvariant are we on now i see these dot all these alphabet numbers and letters and all the things. What subvariant are we on? And are we currently seeing a rise or a decline in cases? You know, I talk to people out in public and like, I just had COVID. I've personally had COVID two slash maybe three times um, and I'm vaccinated. And so you, you hear about it more, but are we really on a rise of cases or are we starting to see things level out now? Yeah, sure. So these are, you know, great questions. And, uh, you know, the variant that we are on right now that we are seeing the subvariant is BA5. So that's, that's a subvariant of Omicron, which, you know, we know early on back in January is where we saw that first Omicron peak this past year. And then we've had subsequent smaller waves. And this here, what we're seeing with BA5 is we've seen an increase in, in cases over time, but it hasn't been as quick as we've seen with previous waves. Uh, so we're seeing community transmission increase and it's kind of, um, stabilized. It's not going up as fast. It's not coming down either. It's kind of, you know, bouncing around, but staying somewhat steady at this point. Um, you know, we still need to see what happens. And especially as we go into respiratory viral season, that could go up more significantly. But at this point, we are still seeing community transmission. We still do have counties that are considered in the high level of the CDC community level transmission indicator. If you remember, they've got kind of three, three colors. they color every county in the U.S. to kind of give an indication of community transmission. So we're still seeing spread. But um, the good news is, again, we've got a lot of tools. We can continue to expect that to go up and down over time, as we've already seen over the last, you know, two plus years. But we have the tools. And, you know, number one on that list is still vaccines and boosters, in addition to the other things we now have, like treatments, like Paxlovid. So anyway, you know, continuing to remind folks on that and kind of use the tools that we have available you know, despite the ups and downs that we're seeing in community transmission. So it's National Immunization Awareness Month. I know that's that's everything. Some, someone, everyone celebrates that out there, right? Um, so great timing to talk about COVID vaccines. What is the current recommendation for the different age groups and the different vaccine types? What boosters should we be on at this point? Yeah, sure. So yeah, it's a great, great opportunity being National Immunization Awareness Month and um, so important and for COVID vaccines. And so now vaccines are available for six months and older. So pretty much, you know, our entire population is eligible for a vaccine. Um, the, the booster doses in particular are for five years and older. And then there's a second booster dose uh, that folks that are 15 older or those that have immunizing uh, immunocompromising conditions are eligible for as well. So, you know, primary series for six months and older, if you're five years and older, you can get that booster dose after that primary series. And then if you're 15 older, if you have immunocompromising conditions, then a second booster dose as well. Um, uh, you're eligible for. And so those are the those are the general recommendations. Now there are certain nuances on that again based on if you have other immunocompromising conditions. There's some nuances there. But those are the basic recommendations. And you know, we have multiple vaccines now that are available. We have, you know, the Pfizer and the Moderna. There's also the Novavax vaccine that was recently um, authorized and is now available in North Carolina as well. Um, so we're seeing, you know, there's plenty of vaccine and just continued reminder, particularly around the booster doses. You know, if people haven't gotten their booster and they're eligible, just consider, consider getting that booster dose. 
Are these vaccines and these boosters, are, are you seeing them still be effective in the cur- current subvariant, the BA5, that we're experiencing now? Yeah, they're still effective in preventing severe disease and hospitalization. Now, we are seeing with BA5 that people are more likely, even if they've gotten a vaccine or a you know previously weren't infected, this BA5 variant will sometimes uh, be more successful in evading that past immunity and causing infection anyway. But the good news there is the vaccine, again, really effective against severe disease and hospitalization, which is really, you know, one of the main things we are certainly concerned about in, in continuing to keep a close eye on our hospital capacity and what our emergency room visits are like. So vaccines are still really effective there. I want to go back to that, the the reinfection piece that you just mentioned. We, we saw that President Biden was reinfected or was still testing positive for COVID after just having COVID pretty much the week prior. Is that something that we're seeing? Is that this this new subvariant? Is that something that's a characteristic of that um, particular subvariant? Well, you know, we're still seeing in some cases people, even with prior variants, that you can still test positive for quite some time, especially mm. with PCR testing. Sometimes you are um, continuing to test positive and can continue to test positive for quite some time afterwards, though that doesn't necessarily mean that you are still infectious. And so that's, you know, something that we've seen even with other variants as well. Dr. Consagra, I have a question for you about testing. Uh, I've used a lot of the drive-up testing locations, and I know those have gone away. And now we're, uh, thankfully, the at-home testing kits are more prevalent. But uh, for those who use the at-home test kits and maybe come back with a positive result, are, should we be reporting those? How? Uh, what, what should we be doing? You know, other than contacting schools and employers about a positive test case, is, is there are there additional steps that we should be taking so that the state has accurate information? Yeah, so you don't need to report at-home tests. You know, at-home tests are available through so many means, and, and those are not reported into the state unless they're done in a doctor's office. And, you know, there are some different requirements in certain specific settings. But for the average person doing an at-home test, no, we don't need to collect that information. But we are monitoring and getting that type of information in other ways to track community transmission. So just to give you a few examples of those, we still get a laboratory tests done. So we know that that's not capturing every single test, again, given there's so many at home tests now available, but we are still capturing information that way. And then we're also doing wastewater testing. And so that um, is something new technology that has been developed, but we're actually able to test wastewater because virus does get excreted. And we're able to monitor that to get a sense of virus levels and what they're doing in communities to track spread. And, you know, the that's useful because oftentimes, again, sometimes people don't even get tested. But again, if they're getting tested with an at-home test, we're not necessarily getting the results of that test, but we can monitor levels in that other way. So, um, you know, we're looking at those two things in addition to, again, ED visits, hospitalizations also gives us an indication of what things are doing. But really, really, you know, fortunate that we have now at-home tests available to us because, again, that, you know, if you recall back to the beginning of the pandemic, we, you know, had a shortage of testing across the country and certainly, you know, the technology to do, you know, a 15-minute rapid test in the beginning wasn't there. So it's great that that's out there now. That's really good news. So one last quick question for you. What treatments are available for COVID-19 at this point and who and how can you receive them? Yeah, so there are a few treatments available. Um, 
Paxlovid is a type of antiviral medication that can be prescribed by your provider, and you can pick it up in the pharmacy. We have uh, that across North Carolina, um, and that is really effective in preventing severe illness and hospitalization. You know, 80 to 90 percent effective rates is what they saw in some of the studies that were done. So that's a medication that typically is for, you know, folks that are at higher risk of severe disease. But we know based on, you know, demographics in North Carolina, if you have an age, you know, over a certain age or have a chronic underlying condition, you're at higher risk. And so a lot of people uh, fall in that category and really encourage um, folks to think about, you know, if they were to get COVID-19, who, you know, do they already have a provider? If not, think about who you would go to. There are many test-to-treat locations in North Carolina that will, you know, help test. And if you're positive, make uh, a pharmacist and have you screened to be able to give you that medication. Um, and certainly, you know, at your provider's office as well, they're able to do that. So that is a medication. There's also another medication called um, betulizumab. That's a that's a type of monoclonal antibody that um, is also available, Paxlovid, what I just talked about, that medication at the pharmacy, that's, that's right now the preferred drug and the, the first line that folks should be considering. So the good news is we have that. And, you know, I'll mention, we were covering testing a little while ago, but I'll mention, you know, in addition to a lot of the six sites, again, we, we have new community access points actually to pick up home tests as well. And so that's another tool. And again, if you're positive there, you know, talking to your provider to get that medication that Paxlovid I mentioned um, uh, to get treatment would be one of the things that, again, we're really trying to promote and emphasize as we talk to people to make sure they know that's available. That is the voice of Dr. Susan Consagra. She is the uh, director for the North Carolina Division of Public Health. And Dr. Consagra, we thank you so much for being so generous with your time today and some sp- for spending some time with us and helping our audience learn a-, a little bit more about monkeypox and COVID-19. Well, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here, and I'm really glad we could get the word out and share more about both these things with the community. Thank you. Thank you, and you all are doing a wonderful job, and we appreciate mm-hmm. all the hard work that is, is being done by the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services and the Division of Public Health. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we're going to shift directions a little bit. We're now going to get into a discussion on long COVID, and, you know, we are having a very medical centered discussion today, but you know, there are still a lot of questions about long COVID and there's, uh, we all know someone who has dealt with COVID, but the effects of long COVID, uh, can be quite serious. So we're very thankful to have a thorough discussion on that right now. We are pleased to welcome to the show, Dr. Chuck Whiting. He's a nurse practitioner with wake med primary care. Chuck, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. 
You know, I feel like COVID, we've we've said that word so many times on the show. It feels like it's never ending and it, it, it just won't go away. And we see new variants and it's just going and going and going. So, Chuck, are you still seeing cases in your practice and have some of the symptoms lessened in, in the variants that we're seeing now? Uh, yes, we're still seeing cases, uh, but the number of cases has gone down dramatically since the peak a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're... We are expecting that we are in a lull now um, and sort of holding our breath for the next surge, um, hoping there won't be one. But mm-hmm. but I think realistically, we're going to we're going to see at least one more. Right. Are you, and are you still having people coming in for booster shots and keeping up on their vaccines? I think it's we're in that you know period now where boosters are coming every few months. Is that something that you're still seeing as well? Yes. And, you know, we're seeing the folks, uh, you know, getting their booster shot at six months. Uh, and, you know, so there's a, there were a, a lot of people who just over time are now still coming up on their six month mark. That's good. That's good to and, know. And I, I think there are some countries that are already working on a second booster shot. Right, right. I, I was watching the news this morning and saw a bit of that going on. So that's good to hear. You know, Something that is scary about COVID, and it's kind of uncertain and a little bit unknown and it's causing anxiety in many, is the potential for it to last longer just than the infection itself of having COVID. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about what is long COVID? You know, we hear this word in the news and, and floating around, and what is the real risk of getting long COVID? Well, long COVID is... Um Symptoms that do not go away at the end of the illness. And there's a couple different ways to look at it. Um, You can look at it and say, well, it's after four weeks if you're still having symptoms. You know, maybe that's long COVID. Um, Some professionals are saying, you know, you really need to give it three months um, to see um, if before, before we start calling it long COVID. And I'm, I'm with the group that thinks about three months out. Uh, if you haven't recovered completely from your initial illness, that's probably the time to start calling it long COVID. Um, you know, the kind of things we're seeing with long COVID are um, the symptoms that you had with the COVID. Some people with difficulty breathing, some people feeling really tired, um, not having enough energy, um, not having the, the, the stamina that you had before you were sick. Um, just lingering after the illness. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that new symptoms pop up after COVID that are being pointed to, hey, you, you did have COVID, that could be a symptom of that and, and long COVID. Do you see people coming up with new things like heart problems or or other, other symptoms that are um, related but are a part of the long COVID instead? Yes, definitely. Um, and that's all over the country we're seeing those things. Um, we see um, a higher risk for heart attack or stroke Mm. after the COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, The Veterans Administration did a study in 2021, and they found that uh, the risk for all types of heart disease uh, went up after COVID, so that there were 45 extra cases of heart disease diagnosed per 1,000 veterans Mm. uh, in the post-COVID veterans compared with the veterans who had never had COVID. And, and that's a, a, 
that's a that's a pretty concerning number. Wow, that is happily some of those are going to be transient events Mm -hmm. where you have some inflammation in the heart, which is not uncommon with the with the long COVID, and hopefully that is a you know a a short term thing. It'll happen for a while, and the and the body will recover and go on. Wow, but that's not the case in all of those things. You know, I'm I'm gonna put my uh, my dad's wife on blast here, but <laughs> uh, she had that happen to her and um, ended up at urgent care thinking she was having a heart attack, um, and she was in a lot of pain. And she went to a Wake Med urgent care, and they actually put her in an ambulance and took her straight to Wake Med and um, and did some testing on her and found that her heart was just very inflamed, and they were pointing it to COVID and, and she didn't know that she could have had COVID, but that's the only explanation they really had for it is this could be a long COVID kind of effect. And, um, she ended up in the hospital for quite a few days and then on medication for a couple months following to try to get the inflammation down, but it was just so random. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you mentioned the three month, um, you know, time frame of thinking about when long COVID starts. Are you still contagious if you're still, you know, I I know people have like a little lingering cough. Is that still COVID contagious, or, or are you still okay to to you know walk about the cabin uh, after your quarantine period? You should not be contagious after about ten days um, from either your. Um, your positive tests or the first sign of symptoms. So after that point, you you shouldn't be able to make anybody else sick. Um, and you're you are yes free to move about the cabin at that point, um, even even if you're still having some lingering symptoms. Chuck, I've seen information uh, bandied about about the COVID vaccines and how it. Uh, the correlation between, you know, less likely to die from COVID as well as uh, experiencing milder symptoms when you have been vaccinated. Does that also correlate to long COVID as well? Are we seeing that if you're vaccinated, you're less likely to suffer from long COVID symptoms or maybe they're not as harsh? Yes, they are. The chance of having long COVID after being vaccinated is a about 50% of, of having long COVID uh, if you had the illness itself. Um, but it's not a complete, so it's not a, a, a complete preventative. Um, in terms of how severe the symptoms are, I don't, I don't think we're sure exactly uh, if it's going to really affect how, how significant your long COVID is. That makes plenty of sense. We are speaking with Dr. Chuck Whiting. He is a nurse practitioner with WakeMed Primary Care, and we're talking all about COVID-19. We know it's uh, unfortunately it's still a problem while uh, things are getting better. It's still something that we need to be aware of and taking precautions with, and we're talking a little bit more specifically about long COVID, and we're going to continue our conversation with him right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care, right here on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Dr. Chuck Whiting. He is a nurse practitioner with Wake Med Primary Care, and we are talking all about COVID-19, in particular, long COVID. These are COVID symptoms that uh, last uh, uh, longer than the, the usual duration that we have associated with COVID-19. And, um, you know, uh, at least I've read some horror mm-hmm. stories about uh, the impact that long COVID can have, and it's it's scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Do you and Chuck? Do you think that anyone can get long COVID, or if you have a pre-existing condition, do you think that makes people more susceptible to it? Um, I be- certainly believe that anyone can get long COVID. Um, in all the research we've done in the last couple of years, we haven't been able to identify what the exact risk factors are. It really does seem to be random. Uh, but if you have a pre-existing condition like uh, uh, COPD or emphysema or you've got some heart disease, then, you know, your risk for having that worsened by the COVID uh, is definitely uh, up there. Uh, you know, someone who has some lung issues who ends up with a COVID pneumonia, their lung issues are going to be worse when they come out the other side. And, and I would assume then logically, then you're more likely to have a long COVID kind of symptom. Same with heart disease, um, kidney disease. If you have kidney disease, you got to be worried for um, the the COVID creating more kidney damage. Kind of, kind of just kind of making that one mm-hmm. step worse. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's such such an unknown thing, and all the research that's going on about it is so important. Chuck, what do you do if you think you have long COVID? And I know my boyfriend has had this lingering cough and it's just bothering him like crazy since he had COVID. It's just a tickle in his throat, but it's there forever, he feels like. What would you do if you if you think you're having long COVID symptoms or issues? Well, I would recommend following up with your primary care provider. Uh, that per, Your provider is going to be able to help you with a few things like further testing. Uh, maybe uh, some x-rays, maybe some medication just to kind of help you get through uh, the symptoms. If they're just symptoms that are lingering and are going to resolve on their own in another four to six weeks, um, you know, maybe some medication for a short term is going to help. Um, but beyond that, um, if you're if you're really having some difficulties, uh, folks who had COVID pneumonia, for mm-hmm, example, mm-hmm. Uh, are going to have some maybe some trouble uh, with their exercise endurance. Even walking into a grocery store from the parking lot may be something that gets them out of breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, your primary care provider can do something like help you get a handicap parking placard for six months. Mm-hmm. So while you're recovering, you're parking up close and not having to... to you know, use all your energy just getting to the grocery store's front door. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have to be out of work for an extended period of time, your primary care provider uh, can fill out the FMLA paperwork to give you an accommodation at work so that you have some extra time um, that's protected. Um, a lot of folks will need physical therapy, um, you know, or 
or a further evaluation by a specialist. And primary care is, is your first best point for getting all that kind of help. That's a great, those are some great suggestions. I can imagine some of these symptoms that you're talking about could impact work as, as we slowly get back into the office and people are moving away from work from home. I can, I can definitely see where, um, you know, something like being out of breath um, or having a consistent cough or um, some of these things could really impact your work. And um, so you mentioned the, the disabilities. Is, is long COVID a disability then? Yes, since about uh, spring of 2021, uh, with this, the government has recognized long COVID symptoms as a disability, and there are protections under the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, for folks who have it. One of those things could be accommodations at work, as we talked about, um, people who just don't have the stamina uh, that they had anymore, maybe people who are still having some brain fog. Uh, you know, may need some help at work, longer time for assignments, uh, a closer parking space, working from home. All of these things are, are accommodations that you can ask for uh, under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Wow. And the things you don't yeah. know. Um, are there, there any, I know there's a lot of research going on about it, and you've mentioned some of the things that are happening. Are there any real clear causes yet? And I know that there, we just don't know that much about COVID, but have they pointed to anything that is significant? For the long COVID, no, because people who have really mild cases of COVID mm-hmm. um, are, are possibly getting long COVID as well. So mm-hmm. someone who had the mildest case then ends up with brain fog afterwards where they they just have trouble concentrating at times or or are more tired afterwards um and and the the long covid is is often as worse as the mild symptoms they had from the covid to begin with Mm -hmm. you know getting your vaccine definitely as we said before uh will reduce your risk for getting long covid by about 50 percent um but we have next to nothing going into getting COVID where we can say, oh, yeah, you're going to be more likely to get long COVID than the person next to you. You know, Chuck just says, uh, I don't know, a, a normal layperson here in the world. Mm-hmm. It seems like the information, uh, at least that we're getting from the media with regards to COVID-19 has really slowed down. I mean, there's lots of crazy events going on in the world and, you know, the news cycle is going to shift. So it, it seems like, you know, the, the information trickling down to the average person has kind of slowed down with regard to COVID-19. It, it, are you, is that the same on the physician level? Like, are you still getting lots of new information and studies related to COVID-19 or has, has that slowed down as well? It's slowed down a little bit since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was there was really a push to get as much information out as we could and get everybody up to speed on what was happening and trying to keep everybody, you know, updated with all the new stuff. Um, but yeah, we're still we're still getting new information all the time. Um, but it's not as impactful, I would say, as as in the beginning when everyone was still kind of fresh with it. 
Perfect. All right. And Chuck, I just want to reset real quick here. So if someone is experiencing COVID symptoms, can you just briefly go over again, you know, when should we be concerned about long COVID? And again, what are the steps that we should do personally if we're experiencing that? So if you have, if you're basically healthy, you have no chronic conditions like asthma or COPD, diabetes, high blood pressure, kidney disease, something that you're taking medicine for every day, uh, then I would wait four weeks or so as long as the symptoms are mild and then go see your provider. Uh, a lot of times with an illness, there can be some lingering symptoms like a dry cough or a sore throat or a little fatigue um, that just takes your body time to recover from it. Uh, if on the other hand, you are have a chronic illness where you're taking medicine for it every day or your doctor's checking you every six months to make sure it's not getting worse like asthma or, or uh, high blood pressure or heart disease, um, I, would, I would go see your doctor uh, pretty much right away after you've recovered or, or after you're not contagious from the COVID uh, and see if there's anything they're concerned about, anything they want to keep a closer eye on. Really want to thank Dr. Chuck Whiting, nurse practitioner with WakeMed Primary Care, for all your time today, Chuck, and for answering all of our questions. You, you did a wonderful job, and again, we, we appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That's going to do it for us today. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.